any single power source, but it is at least blessed with enough power from beneath its own ground to make a significant dent in its dependence on less benign sources of power. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. David Ting is the founder of an English cram school in Taipei called SK2 TOEFL. He studied foreign languages and literature at Taiwan's top university, the National Taiwan University. Last week, he gave some really good advice about how to speak better English, but more so how to have more confidence in speaking English. Today, he begins by talking about how he was a youth ambassador when he was young. Let's talk about how you have been youth ambassadors when you were younger. How did that come about? I mean, what happened? You had good grades, so you got picked. <laughs> uh, that wasn't the case. When I was in university, I pretty much failed a lot of courses. So, um, you know, that, that wasn't That's one surprising. of the reasons. surprising. <laughs> well, I, I guess I didn't really like the way a lot of professors teach. Okay. Well, I guess what I wanted to do was to meet similar-minded people, people who were also interested in, back at the time, international relationships, uh, cultural exchanges. I think it was sponsored by the Taiwanese government and also by a organization in the U.S. that focuses on leadership. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to meet cool people. So I applied mm. for that program, and that's how I met a lot of cool people in yeah. the end as well. And uh, I think we went on a trip for 14 days in the U.S., like across the U.S., and we visited a lot of private com- corporate uh-huh. government agencies and met some really important people. Oh. So, yeah, I would say it was, in general, a good experience for me yeah. to really look at the world and meet more people. You said you spent a year in the States and then in, and then another half year in, where was it again? In Sweden. In Sweden, right, yeah. right. I've never been to Sweden. I'd love to one day. So you actually knew about the program and you got interested, so you, got, you applied. And you got qualified because of what strengths do you have? Do you know what they look for? Um, I guess back at the time, international experiences. So I had these experiences. Did a lot of cultural exchange programs when I was in university, mainly okay. with other Asian countries. Uh-huh. I guess that's what they look for as well. Mm. And uh, the ability to communicate your thoughts and ideas. Mm. Yeah, because oh. I would say, to be honest, a lot of Chinese people still cannot really communicate their deepest thoughts and ideas in English or in any other languages. So I guess oh, that's one Chinese, of the reasons. Not even Chinese, you're saying? I would say so, yes. Because oh, maybe a lot I of people are not mean. used to, you know, expressing, expressing themselves. themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what I would say was my strength. 
to yeah. be honest with myself. Well, it seems like you're a person who grew up knowing what you like and what you don't like, and what makes you click and what doesn't. Okay, and like you know, you wouldn't be afraid to you know you come across a professor you don't think that you approve of the way he teaches, right? Whereas some students, they wouldn't dare go up. I mean, I don't know, not go up to the professor, but even reporting on the fact that here's a professor who's I'm having problems with. I can't see Taiwanese people doing that. Usually, they just go through the class. They only care about passing the grade and then move on. But you're very clear about what you like and what you don't like, and and then heading towards what you like and then doing better at it. That's how I see you as a person. I'm assuming that your parents support you in your interests. I wouldn't say arguments, but like small disputes back when I was in high school. Okay. Because my dad is actually a doctor and my mom a teacher. Okay. So before I entered high school, I also assumed that I was naturally going to be a doctor as well. Oh my dad! After entering my second year in high school, I decided that I want to study the humanities. You mm-hmm. know, instead of. Becoming a doctor in the future, so I had to discuss with my dad and my mom. And what they told me basically was, if you can be responsible for your actions, you can do it. Yeah, so that's what I went on to do. What I want to do. So at least I would say they wouldn't. They are not not supportive. I guess it can be a little scary for the children sometimes to hear that, especially when you're only in high school or in junior high school. Because I think what kids would be imagining was, uh, do I have to move out? Do I have to? <laughs> Live by myself from now on. Are you okay. going to support me financially? Things like that. So I would say most people started to gather confidence only after they enter university. Only after they don't have to really worry about tests anymore. When they can, you know, find a part-time job, become a tutor, feed themselves. Then they can really think about: Is this something that I want to do? Do right. I want to take full responsibility for my actions? You know, I think that for you to have your own thinking. When you're in high school, that's kind of early on for most Taiwanese kids. I have to say, a lot of kids, Taiwanese kids at high school, they don't even know what they want to do with their future yet. But I think you had, you already was pretty clear in your mind what you wanted, even in high school. Right. I think because、um, I went on a student exchange to the U.S. for one year when I was 15, at、uh, during my second year in high school. The、oh. reason why I went on this exchange was because I realized I didn't really like my high school. I didn't like how people were. Living and studying, like、mm-hmm. the people around me, like it was supposed to be the best high school in Taipei,、mm. but I just feel like I don't like this group of people. They、mm. just focus on they focus on studying too much. During that year when I was in US, I realized that people could have many, many different kinds of ways of living. For example, there, there were a group of Brazilians back at the time in the US, exchange students as well, and、uh, there was this rule that we as exchange students. Had to learn English, so we had to speak English at all times. Whenever you speak a language that is different from lang- English, you have to give one U.S. dollar to a, to a grown-up who's watching. And this group of Brazilians, they always pay fines because they speak Portuguese too much.、Uh-huh. So I remember one day I went up to them and asked them, "Hey, look, you guys are broke. You don't have any money, and you don't learn English. How come you're still so happy?" That was my honest reaction because、yeah. you know. From Taiwan, like we always say, you have to study well, and that makes you happy. And the Brazilians is we we don't we don't see that there's anything to worry about. And that way of living and the confidence that they have sort of changed me. To after I come back, I decided that I could pursue what I want to pursue. Because when I was abroad, I see I saw that there were diff- many different ways of living,、mm-hmm. and you could be happy with what you do in your、mm-hmm. own life. You don't have to actually follow standards and you know do things people tell you to do just because you can do them. What's your focus in life nowadays? I mean, I know that you run this cram school, but actually, you also have your own. You're pursuing your own interests. You want to talk about those? 
What I've been trying to do this year and the past few years is to sort of pass responsibilities down to other people. Because I realized that I've been teaching for eight years already, and there are new teachers on the rise, and I want to give this opportunity to them, so that they can enjoy teaching, they can learn how to do their own research, and to spend more time with the students. And as for me, I want to, after I have passed this responsibility down to other teachers, I can start focusing on other things. For example, like writing or dealing with this new podcast that I've been. Trying to spend time on.、Mm, that's great of you. You know,、um, giving opportunities to other teachers and actually helping them to grow and do better, so that you have more time to pursue, you know, your own interests and things like that. So I guess this would be a lifestyle that you would recommend for most young people. I would say so. Yes,、um, I think in the beginning of the few years that I started my thing. It was sort of a period your, for me you mean to your thing. What thing? The cram school. Okay. <laughs> It was a period for me to sort of prove myself that I can do this.、Uh-huh. And after a few years, I feel like it's proven, so I can you know start look for start looking for other things.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, since I was given this opportunity by my other friends as well, I want to pass this opportunity to other people who want to prove themselves or who want to enjoy researching and dealing,、uh, spending time with students, communicating with them. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Do you run the cram school with somebody else?、Uh, I have a lot of partners. That's sort of our business model. Yeah. Like each teacher at our school is a partner. Oh, okay. We take responsibility for how many students we have. So we not only teach, we also market ourselves. We also, in the beginning, we answer calls ourselves. That's a very different business model. Right, because we figured if it's the teachers answering students' questions, then you know we naturally know more than the staffs, and、mm. students will feel more confident. They will trust us more because it's the teachers answering their questions, and also because we're responsible for how many students we have. We actually have to know not only how to make good handouts, how to teach better, but also how to sort of promote ourselves, how to communicate with the market so that people see that we're doing a good job. So you actually took some business courses to、uh, run your business here. It's a, it's a bit complicated. We have a few brands under the same company, so this business model was already designed. Oh, I when I partnered up with this other brand, I guess the reason why me and this, as well as others teachers joined was also because of this this business model. Because we can take responsibility, we can take credits for what we do. SK two. SK two. I mean,、Tom. does it stand for anything, or is it really that beauty product brand name? We, we don't want to get involved in lawsuits. So. <laughs> I just、uh, the the first few teachers who taught here, yeah, they were the the name initials were S and K. So I get it. No, we、okay. inherited because just, we didn't feel like there was a need to change it anymore. Sure, sure,、yeah. it's easy to remember. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's just a coincidence, right? Right. Well, where do you want to、uh, go from here with your life?、Uh, you are still young, and I'm sure. It seems like you've already got a lot of ideas in your mind, and you're waiting for each of them to sprout out and everything. And I, I, it seems like you're very confident about your life, and you're already very clear about what you're going to pursue. Maybe five years down the road, or even like ten years down the road. Am I right? Hopefully, yes. Yeah. Are you not going to tell me? <laughs> right. So、uh, what I want to do in the beginning is to pass down this responsibility, so I can start focusing on something else. Because at the moment, I realize I still put my heart on this business way too much. Yeah, it's your baby, kind of. True, <laughs> I, I think it's grown, so I have to let it go.、Okay. And then I might start focusing on writing a bit more. I、mm. guess it's something that I've always wanted to do and always feel like that I should do, but I haven't been able to really put my heart into it. Have you published any books? No, not really. So you're planning to? 
Is that I your next plan step? To, or at least okay. to write regularly. Because uh-huh. I think writing helps me organize my thoughts and to communicate my thoughts with other people. And spending time on this podcast as well. Uh-huh. So I can do the same thing to communicate thoughts. Yeah. And then I'll try to figure the rest from then. Oh, yeah, I think cool. I have to do what I want to do first before yes. I can... Uh, know what's the next step. Know what the next step is or know how to really deal with other people. Well, you're another person that I know who says um, he doesn't really have any plans for the future because he'll just take life as it comes. You know, why make plans? Because anything can happen. These weren't his exact words, but if the road turns and you turn, you know, that kind of thing. Right. I guess it's more like a direction rather than a certain plans. Somebody shared with me about something you wrote, and I actually only got to the very little beginning part of it. You were saying that when you were, correct me if I'm wrong, when you were younger, you always thought about you can write anything. But now that you kind of, you know that you want to write, but you are lost as to what you're going to write about because you feel like, you know, for one, you can write about, oh, you were talking about time. You were thinking that, you know, like your youth, maybe you thought of it as just 10 years and that was only just a 10th of your 10 years of your life. But then now you think that life is, has moved slower or something, has slowed down, and it seems like that your life still has a long way to go. Gosh, I'm getting all confused. But if you know what I'm talking about. Right, right, I know. <laughs> so. Yeah, I guess it's uh, that I've lived longer. I realize one year is just a small part of my life. So I don't focus on that too much. Or I don't think there is something that needed to be done right away because there are still years to come. I wouldn't say I, I'm not in that much of a hurry anymore. And going back to why I don't think I can write like I used to, I think one of the reasons is because when I when I was a little younger than I'm right now, I tried to convince other people that my some of my beliefs and I, my ideas were right. Mm-hmm. But now I don't try to do that as okay. often. I'm just trying to express myself. So there's not this urge to write and communicate my ideas to other people. It's ah. just to write about myself and to write down what I'm thinking. This is really interesting. Really interesting. That was very well put. That was very well said. I think the other thing, okay, I just remembered, it was about time. Um, I feel like a year goes by really fast, but I feel my lifetime is like going very slow. I've, I've been back almost 30 years, but I feel like these 30 years has gone, I wouldn't say fast, but a lot has happened within these last 30 years to the point where some of the things I don't quite remember, but a year goes really fast for me. If you know what I'm trying to say, you know, it's funny because time is time. But then if you think of it as a year or 10 years or, I don't know, two months or two minutes, it, it, it feels differently. Yeah, I think it's fun. Like um, I, I used to feel really strongly about how time goes faster and how time goes slower when you're with different people. For oh. example, I remember once I was in a coffee shop I was trying to study and there was this group of moms that came to the coffee shop just to chat and they were mainly gossiping about their own neighbors <laughs> and I really couldn't really focus. So I feel like, why is time going so slowly? And I want to finish <laughs> studying here as, as soon as possible. But if I were talking to a good friend of mine, like when, when I'm talking with you, Shirley, yeah. like, I feel like this interview is already nearing the end, right? So uh-huh. Time goes fast. Yeah. So I think it's pretty subjective, like how you focus. I think the more you focus on the present, uh-huh. the faster time goes. Wow, I wish I could talk on with you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so very much, David, for sharing your life. Thank you, Yeah. Shirley. Good luck with everything you do. Thank you. You know, and I'm sure that you're very open to whatever comes your way. So keep it that way. I Thank think you. that's a great attitude to have. Thank you. It's Thank you, fun. David.
Classic Shorts: Stories from Chinese History and Literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Today we、we'll、hear some of the poems of Liu Zhangqing, who was both a poet and politician during the Tang Dynasty. Eleven of his poems were collected in the popular anthology Three Hundred Tang Poems. This one is called "Climbing in Autumn" for a view from the temple. On the terrace of General Wu. So autumn breaks my homesick heart. Few pilgrims venture climbing to a temple so wild. Up from the lake, in the mountain clouds. Sunset clings in the old defenses. A stone gong shivers through the empty woods of the Southern Dynasty. What remains? Nothing but the Great River. This poem is called "A Farewell to Governor Li" on his way home to Hanyang. Sad wanderer, once you conquered the South, commanding a hundred thousand men. Today, dismissed and dispossessed, in your old age, you remember glory. Once, when you stood, three borders were still. Your dagger was the scale of life. Now, watching the great rivers, the Jiang and the Han, on their ways in the evening, where do you go? This poem is called "On Seeing Wang Leave for the South." Toward a mist upon the water, still I wave my hand and sob, for the flying bird is lost in space, beyond a desolate green mountain. But now the long river, the far lone sail. Five lakes gleam like spring in the sunset, and down an island white with duckweed comes the quiet of communion. And this is the last poem we're going to read today. 
of the Tang Dynasty poet Liu Zhangqing. Walking along a little path, I find a footprint on the moss. A white cloud low on the quiet lake, grasses that sweeten an idle door. A pine grown greener with the rain, a brook that comes from a mountain source. And mingling with the truth among the flowers, I have forgotten what to say. Those are some of the poems of the great Tang Dynasty poet, Liu Zhangqing. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. To news playlist, we've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you. Brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, your program host. Since the first case of COVID-19 was discovered in Wuhan, China, last December, the highly contagious disease has spread rapidly around the world. It has claimed at least 400,000 lives, and there are more than 7.1 million confirmed infections. Here in Taiwan, there are 443 cases, including seven fatalities. The good news is the island has gone two months without new cases of domestic origin. As the government relaxes COVID-19 control measures, local governments throughout Taiwan are coming up with ways of bringing back tourists. One Hualien County township has decided to do this with an agriculture twist. 
In Taiwan, June is a month for harvesting rice. Huaren County's Yuli Township has plenty of rice to harvest. But thanks to COVID-19, what this rural township doesn't have these days is tourists. That's why the township has decided to make the rice harvest a central part of its campaign to bring tourists back. Taiwan society was once largely agricultural, but for urbanites today, rice harvesting is something completely novel. Visitors' children learn how to use farm tools to cut the rice. In the process, they gain an appreciation for the hard work of farmers. Of course, if the township wants tourists to return, rice alone won't do the trick. That's why, as the Dragon Boat Festival approaches, the township is also planning other activities. Activities like fine dining El Fresco in its open fields. Amid a push to revive domestic tourism after COVID-19, Yuli Township is working to stand out from other destinations. But it also hopes to reacquaint Taiwan's people with just how beautiful the place they call home really is. Shirley Lin, RTI News. With COVID-19 shutting down borders, including Taiwan's international travel remains off the table for most people. But domestically, the pandemic remains under control. This and the arrival of summer have brought a surge of interest in domestic flights, especially to Taiwan's island getaways. Taiwan's big long-haul carriers may have seen better days. But for smaller carriers offering flights to Taiwan's outlying islands, business has never been better. As COVID-19 keeps travel abroad out of reach, Taiwanese people are flocking instead to Taiwan's Penghu, Kinmen, and Mazu Islands. For most, that means a short hop across the sea in an airplane. Mandarin Airlines and Uni Air are both increasing the number of flights to these island destinations. They also plan to use larger planes as many flights fill up. The airlines expect passenger volume to jump by more than 80% once the summer holidays arrive. The rush to get to the islands began in mid-May, and it's only growing. In June and July, Mandarin Airlines is adding 80,000 seats on its routes to Penghu alone. It expects to be able to carry 300,000 passengers to and from the islands over the course of the summer vacation. Uni Air, too, is adding seats, more than 10,000 each for routes to Penghu and Mazu. Travel agents say that tickets will be in short supply, so book quickly. John Van Trieste, RTI News. Taiwan's government has finally come forward and announced the details for a plan to give people stimulus vouchers. The program is meant to give a boost to businesses that have suffered as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. Taiwan has gotten a good handle on COVID-19, but business isn't exactly booming. A lack of tourists and a cautious public means that the travel, tourism and hospitality industries are suffering. The government has been working on a voucher program to help stimulate the economy, but specific details have been sparse until now. The government has set aside a budget of 40 billion New Taiwan dollars, which is about 1.3 billion U.S. dollars to fund the program. People can buy vouchers worth 3,000 New Taiwan dollars by spending just 1,000 New Taiwan dollars. The vouchers can be bought digitally or in stores, and they can be used at night markets, hotels, and for transportation. Newly appointed National Development Council Minister Gong Mingxing says that mid to low income families may receive the coupons outright without needing to purchase them. When asked why the government didn't simply hand out cash, Gong says the vouchers are the best way to stimulate demand with the least amount of resources. And it comes just at the right time, he says right before the summer holidays. Leslie Liao, RTI News.
Miaoli County in northern Taiwan is home to Sunset Boulevard, a highway that's supposedly the most beautiful anywhere in Taiwan. Unfortunately, this beauty can lead to some unwise decisions. It's not unusual to see motorists getting out of their cars and standing on the highway to take a photo. The county government has come up with a solution. A section of the provincial Highway 61 in Miaoli County has become famed for its sunset views, but the scenery the highway has to offer often impairs travelers' judgment. So far this year alone, police have given 85 tickets to motorists and motorcycle riders for standing in the road for a photo opportunity. Repeated incidents like these have led the county government to apply to the central bank for a budget of 400,000 U.S. dollars to build an observation deck. It would be built in an open area away from the highway. The county government says that there will also be a parking lot, allowing travelers to enjoy the highway's beautiful scenery in safety. Shirley Lin, RTI News. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. President Tsai Ing-wen has promised to build a working environment that strikes a balance between discipline and personal rights for the military police. Tsai made the comments in late May during an inspection tour of the military police command in Taipei. President Tsai Ing-wen, along with National Security Council Secretary General Wellington Gu and Defense Minister Yan Defa, Tuesday inspected the military police command. Tsai urged the military to maintain their high standards. She also promised to build a working environment that embodies discipline and protects personal rights at the same time. Tsai said the military police under the defense ministry not only helps maintain social order, it is also responsible for cracking down on crime. Tsai said since 2018, the military police have done much to help the high prosecutor's office in its anti-drug campaign. Tsai inspected the military police drug busting dog unit, which was set up earlier this year. The president gave the sniffer dog that successfully detected drugs a towel as a reward. Before we end today's program, we also have a story about Hong Kong bookstore owner Lan Weiqi. Lan says China's work to crush dissent continues unchanged. Lan made the comments during an interview in Taipei last week. June 4 marks the 31st anniversary of the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. Exide Hong Kong bookstore owner and dissident Lan Weiqi says the Chinese communists were seeking to strengthen their power when they cracked down on the protest in the square. He says that mentality of cracking down to gain power remains unchanged among the communists 30 years on. Lam says China's continued attempts to crush dissent can be seen in its response to last year's mass protest in Hong Kong. To reach its goals, Lam says China reused the same methods it has used before to suppress young people. Lam says that once it has consolidated control over Hong Kong, the Communist Party will set its sights on Taiwan. He says there is nothing that China won't do, even killing people. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow. See you next week. Bye-bye.
What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm. What do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. RTI, exercise for your mind. No matter where, no matter what they did, in all these countries, there is a universal pattern in which the virus is, is at the beginning spreading in exponential rate, then the growth starts to slow, and then it declines. And I looked there, in terms of days, it was more or less universal, something between 70 to 80 days. Hello and welcome to this week's On The Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Professor Isaac Ben Israel, a professor of security studies program at Israel's Tel Aviv University, said, Lockdown is not a total solution, but instead the public should be asked to wear masks and practice social distancing. He cited examples of cities and countries that imposed the lockdown at that time, such as Italy and New York, as well as Israel to countries that lived a normal life such as Taiwan and Korea. His study was published in April, first in Hebrew and then in English worldwide, indicating that coronavirus could disappear after 70 days, meaning that the decline in number of infections should happen at the end of June. And to find out more, we are joined all the way from Israel by Professor Isaac Ben Israel. Professor Isaac Ben Israel, tell us the current situation in Israel today after the government begins lifting restrictions on restaurants and other businesses. Well, we still have a certain number of new infections every day, but in terms, you know, in, in terms as percentage of the infections that we had until now, it's around... 0.1% or something like this. So it's still here, but in insignificant numbers. Uh, totally, we had until now something like 17,000 people who were infected, out of which uh, 300 people died. But Israel is one of the least hit victims of the pandemic. Uh, could you talk about what the government and the public uh, in Israel have done? Well, there are, there are a lot of uh, opinions on this, you know. Uh, Israel, uh, from the first uh, few cases, uh, when there were already something like 10 infections at, at the beginning, from the start, the Israeli government took a very severe uh, measures um, forbidding um, uh, large uh, groups uh, to, to meet and ending with a total lockdown. People were not going to work. Schools were closed. Uh, a total lockdown. Um, and the, still the, the, the virus spread at the beginning in an exponential way. But after something like uh, a month, it started to decline, and uh, from the peak of something like 750 new infections every day, it went down 
to a few people every day, as I said now. Uh, and as a result, the government decided um, two weeks ago to lift the lockdown and go back to normal life. Today, uh, life is normal. Uh, only um, The only measure that we take is what we call social distancing, that is, People are going with uh, with masks and things like this, but no no any limitation on the activity of the people. Shops, restaurants were open again, etc. Back on April 13th, you discussed your research on Israeli TV, and then your study was published worldwide, uh, even here in Taiwan. You said that the spread of coronavirus will decline to almost zero after 70 days, which falls around the end of June this month. Now, your theory proves to be working. Uh, Professor Isaac Ben Israel, how did you come up with your theory? Actually, it's not a theory, it's more observation than a theory. What I did is looking at the spread of the virus in other countries in which it, the virus started to spread uh, before it started here in Israel. Taiwan is one of them, by the way. Uh, China, of course, is the, is the first one. And then I noticed that in all these countries, uh, European countries, um, uh, Eastern countries, no matter where, no matter what they did, in all these countries, there is a, a universal pattern in which the virus is, is at the beginning spreading in exponential rate, then the growth starts to slow, and then it declines. And I looked there in terms of days from the beginning to the peak and from the peak to the decline, uh, it, it was more or less universal, something between 70 to 80 days. So it's more an observation. If you ask me why is it so, I mean, what is causing it, I, I, I would frankly tell you, I don't know. You're listening to On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Today I'm speaking with Professor Isaac Ben Israel, a professor of security studies program at Israel's Tel Aviv University. But the data shows also that lockdown can be stopped by within a, a few days and replaced by social distancing. You, you compared a complete lockdown at that time, uh, such as Italy, New York, and uh, even your country, Israel, to that lived a normal life uh, here in Taiwan and as well as Korea. Could you talk about that? Yeah, as I told you, uh, I, I looked all around the country and I found that um, once it starts to decline, it is declining, no matter what the state is doing. In certain countries like Israel or New York, uh, we put uh, sh uh, shutdown, lockdown, all these uh, measures. Okay? In other countries like Taiwan or, or South Korea or Sweden or Belarusia, in other countries they did nothing, they ignored it. But still, the behavior, the pattern of the virus, of the spread of the virus, was more or less the same in all of them. And, and therefore, I, I wrote a letter then, at um, the beginning of April, something like this. I wrote a letter to, to the government telling them that they can lift this uh, lockdown without worrying too much. And, and, and it proved to be right. 
but it is uh, an observation. There is another issue which is had nothing to do with lockdown and still a mystery, and that is that in many countries, once you have a certain number of of infections of infected people, okay, you expect the mortality rate that is. Out of every 1,000 infections, how many will die? Okay? The mortality rate is very different from one country to another country without any explanation. In, in the difference between countries with high mortality rate, like, like Sweden, for example, and countries with a very low mortality rate, like uh, Singapore or Taiwan, is, is a, a factor of 100. And this is uh, still a mystery. I mean, people today, I work with few researchers, some of them, one of them even had, uh, has a, uh, he has a Nobel laureate uh, on these issues. And we still don't understand why in different countries, for the same number of infections, the mortality rate is uh, as, as a range of 100 times in certain countries bigger than in other countries. Uh, and, and there are many theories. Uh, one theory is about the climate. Another one is about the ethnic groups as have different uh, genes, perhaps, and different um, uh, natural immunity. We don't know. It's a mystery. But if you put a lockdown, for example, you don't expect to... Uh, lower the mortality rate, but the lower to lower the number of infections. Some studies show that, uh, for example, like uh, uh, African Americans uh, uh, have a higher mortality rate. Uh, so it's very hard to predict uh, that. Do you agree? I agree. It's very hard to predict. But uh, if you look at the numbers, it's the other way around. Uh, European countries have higher rates of mortality. Then, for example, Middle Eastern countries or African countries. Here in the Middle East, Israel is part of it. The mortality rate is very low. And, and as I told you before, we still don't know why. Professor Isaac Ben Israel, you recommended that the government of Israel should have reversed the lockdown policy, but today many governments still continue to do so with the cost of economic benefits. Your advice to these governments, do you think that uh, they should uh, lift all these restrictions? Yeah, this is my advice. Um, and, And I think that the data is supporting it. Still, there is, you know, people would like their government to to show that they are doing something, okay? And therefore, governments are tempted to take perhaps over measures uh, in order to show the people that they are uh, caring for them and doing do something. But you have to bear in mind the huge economical uh, cost yes. of this uh, measure. The Israeli government is planning to export its success uh, to other countries in the world. What do you think are some of the most impressive measures that the government has taken since Israel confirmed the first case in February? No, what, what I mean, how do you export it? I think what, what uh, they refer to is more technology. In certain areas, 
we use, of course, technology, okay? For example, you want to locate those who were infected. How do you do this? You can use the... Uh, everyone today has a, a smartphone. You can track people through a smartphone and see if uh, they were meeting, even if they don't know it, were meeting people that are known to carry the virus and things like this. So technology can be ex- exported, and, and this is what Israel is doing usually. I mean, developing technology to help in uh, any problem that we have, and, and that's why Israel is one of the biggest uh, technological hubs in the world, not proportional to, to our real size. Now, uh, Taiwan has also been known uh, for the success in containing the pandemic. Professor Isaac Ben Israel, do you think that there can be cooperation between Taiwan and Israel? Of course. And uh, actually, one of my recommendations to my government uh, two months ago, not now, is to look more carefully at what uh, has been done in, in, in Taiwan because it was successful, still successful. Uh, and and the, the measures were different. And I think that uh, those two countries can learn from each other and, and cooperate. And there are no secrets here in terms of, you know, uh, national secrets or something like this. Uh, the same Taiwan, enemy. Taiwan and Israel can also work together in the future or now to develop vaccine. Yeah, that's true. Do you think... There will be a second wave in the future, Professor Isaac Ben Israel. As I told you before at the beginning, there are so many things we don't understand about the pandemic. We don't understand why there is a 100 factor in the range of mortality rate. We don't understand why it looks as if in certain areas of the world, uh, the behavior is, is different from in other areas. So given all these unknowns and mysteries, it's very difficult to predict uh, if there will be a second wave, if they will come back. I guess we, if, this is possible, and if not uh, this COVID-19, perhaps COVID-21 or any other virus that you can think about. And this was a kind of um, uh, alarm, you know, for humanity, uh, to, to think about, uh, usually we think about crisis in terms of economy or defense. Wars and, 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 and economic crisis. We have to think uh, seriously also about this uh, um, pandemic issue and to prepare ourselves. Uh, shutting the, the, uh, uh, all the uh, country and lockdown, etc. is not a, a steady, stable solution to prepare ourselves for a possible pandemic in the future. And we have been joined on the phone all the way from Israel by Professor Isaac Ben Israel. Professor Ben Isaac Israel is a professor at Tel Aviv University teaching at the Security Studies Program and is also known as the Israeli Cyber Security Guru. And that's it for this week's On The Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Take Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. 
Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.